Brazil, which has grown sugarcane since 1516, has been the largest producer and consumer of the commodity since the 17th century. Yet, in 1870s, when diabetes was beginning to be noticed as a disease of civilization in the United States, that disease was completely unknown in the sugar capital of the world, Rio de Janeiro. Brazil today produces 3 million metric tons of sugar per year and consumes over 130 pounds of white sugar per person, more than the United States. Analysts of the diets of the two countries, Brazil in 02 to 03, in the United States from 96 to 06, revealed the average Brazilian obtained 16.7% of his or her caloric, his or her calories from table sugar or sugar added to processed foods, while Americans consume only 15.7% of their calories from refined sugars. Yet the United States had more than two and a half times the rate of diabetes as Brazil. Bhutan, sandwiched between the mountainous borders of India and China, the isolated Himalayan kingdom of Bhutan may be the last country in the world to be electrified. Until the 1960s, Bhutan had no banking system, no national currency, and no roads. In the late 1980s, I learned something about the Buddhist country thought by some to be the model for James Hilton's Shangri-La. When I made the acquaintance of an Ita a Canadian woman who worked for CUSO International, the Canadian version of the United States Peace Corps, she had just returned from a four-year stint in a small Bhutanese village where she taught English to local children. Bhutan is somewhat larger in area than the Netherlands and has a population just over 750,000. The road system at the time was extremely limited and most traveled outside the immediate, the immediate vicinity of the small capital, Timpu, including travel to my friend's village was by foot or horseback. She felt privileged to be able to live in that country at all because outside visitors to Bhutan were limited to 1,000 per year. The woven baskets and other handcrafts that she brought back were intricate and beautiful. Technology was unknown. As there was no electricity at all in most of the country, diabetes was extremely rare and completely unknown outside the capital. As recently as 2002, fuel wood provided virtually 100% of all non-commercial energy consumption. Fuel wood consumption at 1.22 tons per capita was the highest, if not the highest, in the world. Bhutan was ideally an ideal laboratory in which to monitor the effects of electricity because the country was about to be transformed from near 0% electrification to 100% electrification in a little over a decade.
1998, King Jim Wang Chek ceded some of his powers to a democrat assembly which wanted to modernize the country. The Department of Energy and the Bhutan Electri Electricity Authority were created on July 1, 2002, the same day the Bhutan Power Corporation was launched with 1,193 employees. It immediately became the largest corporation in the kingdom. Its mandates was to generate and distribute electricity throughout the kingdom. With a large target of full electrification of the country within 10 years, by 2012, the proportion of rural households actually reached by electricity was about 84%. In 2004, 634 new cases of diabetes was reported in Bhutan. The next year, 944. The year after that, 1,470. The following year, 1,732. The next year, 2,541, with 15 deaths. In 2010, there were 91 deaths, and diabetes mellitus was already the eighth most common cause of mortality in the kingdom. Coronary heart disease was number one. Only 66.5% of the population had normal blood sugar. This sudden change in health of population, especially the rural population, was being blamed incredibly on the traditional Bhutanese diet, which, however, had not changed. Bhutanese have a penchant for fat-rich foods, reported Jim Wangchit in the Bhutan Observer. All Bhutanese delicacies are fat-rich. Salty and fatty foods cause hypertension. Today, one of the main causes of ill health in Bhutan is hypertension caused by oil-rich and salty traditional Bhutanese diet. Rice, the article continued, which is the staple food of Bhutanese, is rich in carbohydrates, which turns into fats unless there is a physical activity. Perhaps the Bhutanese are not getting enough exercise. Two-thirds of the population, the author complained, are not eating enough fruits and vegetables. But the Bhutanese diet has not altered. The Bhutanese people are poor. Their country is mountainous with few roads. They have not all gone and suddenly bought automobiles, refrigerators, washing machines, televisions, and computers and become lazy, inactive people. Yet rates of diabetes quadrupled in four years. Bhutan now ranks 18th in the world in its mortality rate for heart disease. Only one other thing has changed so dramatically in Bhutan in the last decade, electrification and the resulting exposure of the population to electromagnetic fields. We recall from the last chapter that exposure to electromagnetic fields interfere with basic metabolism. The power plants of our cells, the mitochondria, become less active, slowing the rate at which our cells can burn glucose, fats, and protein. 
instead of being able instead of being taken up by our cells excess fats accumulate in our blood and are deposited on the walls of our arteries along with the cholesterol that transports them forming plaques and causing coronary heart disease this can be prevented by eating a low fat diet in the same way excess glucose instead of being taken up by our cells also backs up the and accumulates in our blood this increases the secretion of insulin by our pancreas normally insulin lowers blood sugar by increasing its uptake by our muscles but now our muscle cells can't keep up they burn glucose as fast as they can after a meal and it's no longer fast enough most of the excess goes into our fat cells is converted to fat and makes us obese if your pancreas becomes worn out and stops producing insulin you have type 1 diabetes if your pancreas is producing enough or too much insulin but your muscles aren't able but your muscles are unable to use glucose quickly enough this is interpreted as insulin resistance and you have type 2 diabetes eating a diet free of highly refined quickly digested foods especially sugar can prevent this in fact before the discovery of insulin in 1922 some doctors including Elliot Joshlin successfully treated severe cases of diabetes with a near starvation diet they radically restricted their patients intakes of not just sugar but all calories thus ensuring that glucose entered the bloodstream at a rate no faster than the cells could deal with today the disease has changed entirely even children with type 1 insulin deficient diabetes tend to be overweight they are overweight before they become diabetic because of their cells reduced ability to metabolize fats they are overweight after they become diabetic because the insulin that they take for the rest of their lives makes their fat cells take up lots of glucose and store it as fat a sudden spike in diabetes cases occurred nationwide in 1991 a 31% increase in a single year no one was able to explain why but that was the year that telecommunications industries introduced digital cell phones in mass to the United States the first such phones were on sale in dozens of american cities during the christmas season of 1996 construction of cell towers began in those cities during 96 but 97 was the year that battalions of towers previously confined to metropolises marched out over the rural landscape to occupy previously virgin territory that was the year cell phones were transformed from a rich person's luxury to the common person's soon to be necessity the year microwave radiation from towers and antennas became inescapable over large parts of the united states the situation today is out of control 
the Center for Disease Control estimates that in addition to the 21 million American adults over the age of 20 who have diagnosed diabetes, 8 million have undiagnosed diabetes, and 86 million have prediabetes. Adding to these numbers together gives us a shocking statistic that 115 million Americans, or more than half all adults, have elevated levels of sugar in their blood. Worldwide, it is estimated that more than 180 million adults had diabetes in 2000, and in 2014, the estimate was 387 million. In no contrary on earth is the rate of diabetes or obesity decreasing. Like diabetes, obesity has tracked exposure to electromagnetic fields. The first official statistic in the United States date back from 1960, showing that one quarter of adults were overweight. That number did not change for 20 years. A 40-year survey, however, conducted during 1988 to 1991, revealed something alarming. 14 million additional Americans have become fat. These were a couple excerpts from the book that I've been speaking on for the last two or three episodes, The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life by Arthur Furstenberg. I've spoken on this uh, before that there's so much jammed into this book, for me to sum it up seems quite difficult sometimes, and I felt that it was important just to read these passages right out of the book um, because my words are not intelligent enough to explain the complexity of this concept confidently enough, I feel. I know I'm not the smoothest reader this was always a weakness for me in school. I don't feel great about being the one presenting this information to you, but um, I think it's an important piece that needs to be broadcasted. And I welcome you to get a copy of the book yourself and go through the material rather than, you know, me horribly reading it all out to you. When I first started doing research to this book, I expected to get a relation to flu-like pandemics and epidemics in collaboration with new radio waves and microwaves implantation in the world. I was expecting to see a relation to radio and Spanish influenza and sonar and cell phone waves and satellites. And this book has confirmed those 
findings. What I was not expecting was it to also touch on the three biggest killers or biggest illnesses that we experience around the world also being related to electricity. I was a believer that diabetes, heart disease, and cancers were the majority of diet-related illnesses. And while diet plays a major factor in these, this book is concluding that it is not the biggest factor and that the, the same diets were exercised to some degree before the electrification process of all these different waves. So while we should eat low-fat, unprocessed foods, whole foods, to provide a better health for our system, without living amongst electrification, this book is concluding that we would not experience even a half or a quarter of the degree of side effects that these diseases cause from diet alone, which is astonishing. So it makes sense to me why a coronavirus narrative Concealing the truth about this sickness would have to be blasted out so strong if the forces blasting out the narrative are aware that these electromagnetic fields <clears throat> are causing such a dramatic effect on health. What happens when you have such a rich industry of big pharma combined with such a rich industry of telecommunications that would be completely squashed if the truth came out that these telecommunications are causing all the issues that big pharma is making by treating. If he shall be deceived, let him. Something that popped into my mind, I've heard Jordan Maxwell talk about.
we live in a world where people are making a lot of money off of these industries. And it seems that the people that are making the most money, that own the most amount of these industries, are the same people that own things like media, they have their hands in government policy, they're able to direct the mainstream message that we hear on our TVs and radios, through our social medias, advertisements. And it seems that they care more about profits than they do about people. They don't care if people suffer as long as they are reaping rewards. So if we can accept that people are that greedy that they would let someone die right in front of them. I think we can accept such a dramatic possibility in our world that it's not a contagious virus virus that is getting us sick but the continual advances of electrical technology. Maybe one day we'll get there. Maybe one day we'll get where we're going. I was asked on the weekend, do I feel guilty for how privileged I am? And I say, only when I feel that I'm not doing enough. I've continued to slack off on my pledge of doing one podcast episode a week. I feel bad about that. I hope I can live up to that standard in the future. I thank you for your constant attention through these discussions. I'm only halfway through this book, The Invisible Rainbow, and I would like to continue the discussion on this topic in relation to electrification and 
the effects it has to life because I think this is a very important topic today. Mind you, there are many other important topics and an interesting one that was brought up to me from a friend to speak on is artificial intelligence. I feel I have an interesting uh, perspective and understanding on what this can look like in the future and that's a, uh, a big topic that we can dissect one day. Perhaps we'll break up our current discussion on the invisible rainbow to touch on that. Maybe I'll touch on that after. I'll kind of have to go with the feeling on the next episodes. I'm Jeffrey William. You've been listening to Love Radio. Thank you so much for your time. I think I'll leave this podcast off with the full recording of Sovereign Man, which you have been hearing for the last seven episodes as the intro music for this podcast. This was a song uh, written by a good friend of mine. The band is called Chico Dusty. Adam Isaac wrote this song off of a couple words that I spoke to his mother about. How I wanted the freedom to be able to use my, my truck on the free roads, the sovereign man driving on the sovereign land. I did not want to live in a world where I was coerced to follow someone else's rules and if I did not, punishment was something I would have to suffer. That I would have to pay money year after year to get the privilege to use a communal space that some group of men and women decided that this was their communal space and if you didn't give them homage they wouldn't let you use it they would hurt you if you did while I want to keep a safe community I live in. I don't think harming somebody because they're not following your ideas is the way to do it. This weekend somebody broke into my house and stole a few things. I was two floors above at the time in the building and I had left the side door unlocked to go upstairs for breakfast. This man walked right in, stole money out of my, my drawer, took my house keys and car keys, and then rode away on a mountain bike that I had here. In hopes that I could get some of my property returned, I filed a report with the police. 
so that if they came across this man and found my stuff that they would know to bring it to me. The, the police officer asked me if I wanted to press charges. I said no. This is not my philosophy on life. By pressing charges, I'd be condemning this man to punishment, which while my anger feels he deserves it, this punishment will, in my opinion, not fix the damages done unto me by causing damages unto him. I'm almost used to always say, two wrongs don't make it right. I told the officer that I wanted to give him the opportunity to return the property to me and to make me whole plus some by potentially compensating me for all the energy that I had devoted into changing the locks on my house, looking at security camera footage to get photographs of the man, following up on social media and with the police to build evidence around this man because supposedly he had broken into many people's homes that weekend. There was camera footage of him the same day going to try to break into someone else's home. Update that I have received is he's been arrested and I don't know if any of my property has been recovered I don't feel that this man should be kept in a cage. However, I do feel he should be approached by the community and given the opportunity to naturally give back all that he damaged. I feel that we should flag this man so that everyone knows the untrustworthy actions he has recently taken not to get fooled by someone like this, but to punish him in the hopes that he sees his folly and learns from it and becomes a good person. I think this is a very flawed concept. I'm Jeffrey William. Thanks for listening. I am the Sovereign Man. I don't want sex I don't want drugs I don't want money I don't want love Oh, I want them all No lock and key Can keep me from being free I don't want to cast nets I don't want mortal flaws I don't want a handsome ransom I don't want wrongful cause Oh, but I got the lot No lock and key To keep me from being free Keep me from being me Cyber man Driving on the cyber land The cyber
I'll get where I'm going Maybe one day I'll get there I know it 